0: Hey, everybody, this is Sean from ARVR Magazine. Military training, I think, is one of the more interesting aspects of the immersive technology industry. And today, I am joined by Pete Morrison, who is the CCO of Bohemia Interactive Simulations. They develop simulation training solutions for defense and civilian organizations. Anyway, super interesting conversation. So with that said, I'll see you in the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Babbel. Living in and traveling to other countries is always a communication challenge. One of the greatest resources that have helped me in my travels is a language study program called Babbel. Babbel is the shortest, most holistic path to having real conversations in a new language. Accessible in-app and on desktop, the user will benefit from unlimited access to courses for one or all of the available languages, 14 in total, with teaching materials created by native speakers and didactic experts. The courses are optimized for the native language of the student, who can take courses at any level for any learning motivation for work, travel, etc. Babbel's method is interactive. Following the courses, you'll encounter a variety of learning activities and exercises to practice pronunciation, listening, written language, and grammar. The aim is to get the user speaking from a very first lesson and gain the confidence to engage in conversations. Hence, the content only consists of useful, practical skills that the user can apply in the real world. The progression of Babbel's courses is based on the common European framework of references for languages and ranges from beginner to advanced level. Finally, Babbel has recently expanded its learning ecosystem with live online classes, podcasts, and games, all created by language experts. And now, when you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six extra months for free by using our special promo code. So basically, you pay for six months and learn for a whole year. So to get more info and redeem the code, go to Babbel. That's b-a-b-b-e-l dot com slash robotspaceship. Welcome to the ARVR Magazine podcast, your source for news, trends, and analysis of the AR, VR, and immersive technology industry. This podcast has been brought to you by the Robot Spaceship Podcast Network. For more info and other great podcast series, go to robotspaceship.com and subscribe. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Early. Welcome to the ARVR Magazine podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, military training is one of the more interesting use cases for immersive technology. But obviously, because of the sensitive nature and sort of secrecy of it, it's always kind of difficult to get a clear overview of how this tech is being used for training. So today, I'm joined by Pete Morrison, who is the CCO of Bohemia Interactive Simulations. They develop simulation training solutions for defense and civilian organizations. Uh, Super interesting guest. Pete, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: So, let's start off by giving us a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing the kind of work that you do.
1: Sure. So, I started out in the Australian Army. I was a signals corps officer there working with communications and computers. And me and some colleagues realized early on that computer games could train soldiers not train them in how to use a rifle uh, or kind of kinetic skills, but in the cognitive learning area, we could put soldiers into a scenario we could uh, train them in how to think through certain situations in, in quite complex scenarios. So I was involved in 2005 in training Australian soldiers who were going to Iraq uh, using computer games and we used a product called VBS1 uh, made by Bohemia Interactive. Uh, I left the army in 2007 to join that company. Uh, I was the CEO of that business for a few years. Um, and we kind of grew from two people uh, in a little Australian office to the 350 or so we have today. And we still we still focus on building military training applications based on computer game technology. And soldiers use our our products in a battle simulation center. It looks like a big computer lab, one soldier per computer, and they play through, from the first-person perspective, scenarios to get some kind of training benefit. It looks like they're playing a computer game, but there are some fundamental differences, uh, and it's all quite uh, quite serious. Now,
0: I've seen some, like, screenshots and things over the years about how immersive tech is being used for military training, and uh, it seems like there's a lot of sort of newer hardware stuff connected. Um, Is that kind of in general how the military is using this type of technology? I mean, what's what's uh, what you can say, obviously, what is sort of the general overview of of how the military uses immersive tech? I mean, not just Bohemia Interactive, but but in general, the, the industry itself.
1: 3D virtual environments have been a feature of military simulation since they were invented. Right, uh, The early flight simulators, for example, uh, a lot of the early silicon graphics technology was funded by the military and uh, this has continued right through to today. The military uses 3d virtual environments on flight simulators and tank simulators uh, right through to desktop training games like the one that one that we make Uh, and in general the military specific software uh, that's providing 3d graphics has sort of kept up with the consumer market so our product for example we use all the capabilities of a modern graphics card we use modern shading we use you know, PBR lighting and all effects and, and all of this because it's important, especially for soldiers who will go home and play their Xbox. They don't want to come into work and, and train on computer game technology that looks like it's 20 years old. Right. Uh, so, And that's the same for flight simulators as well. The military is continuously upgrading its image generation, its 3D capabilities and flight simulators uh, to, to look and, and run as, as, as good as possible. Um, the military, just like gamers, love high frame rates. Um, especially in, in VR, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to, so there's no kind of simulator sickness. Uh, but, but in general, the military is using these days uh, the latest consumer-grade hardware available, so the latest NVIDIA graphics cards. Um, sometimes these are uh, more professional versions, but, but typically the military is using what you can buy um, you know, through your local hardware store, uh, but, but always always top of the line.
0: And um, you mentioned AR and VR. I mean, how exactly is... is I, I can understand VR, obviously, for, for immersive training, but how is, how is AR being used?
1: So AR is really exciting and the military is looking at that for a number of different applications. So the military typically uses technology for training, for support on operations, or mission rehearsal. Uh, and when it comes to augmented reality ar we're seeing it both uh in the training domain and being prepared for use and operations so let's start with the, the more kind of exciting part which is for use in operations and uh maybe your listeners have heard um of, of what microsoft's been working on with highlands yep. 2 and, and yep. ivas and, and there's a huge amount of investment going into this this technology an augmented reality headset that a soldier can use uh, on the battlefield uh, maybe to get a, a feed from a drone directly into the headset, maybe to get information uh, from higher headquarters about where the enemy positions are, kind of overlaying a map over the top of the headset, maybe connected to a camera on the front of a rifle. So when you put your rifle around the corner of a building, you get kind of a camera feed directly into your headset. So this is this is really exciting. As a former soldier, um, I, I'm, I, I can see the potential of this technology. There's certainly uh, some issues that they have to iron out. Uh, soldiers these days already carry a lot of electronics. They're carrying a lot of heavy uh, equipment. Uh, and when I was in the army, you, you basically, you, you want to be carrying ammunition. <laughs> and anything that's not ammunition generally gets kind of offloaded pretty quickly. So, so the trick is to make something that uh, is comfortable, and uh, my understanding, uh, I, I don't really know the insides of it, but uh, soldiers are very used to wearing night vision equipment. So the new augmented reality headset should be very similar to that. You kind of flick it down when you need it. You can flick it back up uh, and it doesn't become too onerous to use. So, so that has tremendous potential. And um, while there have been some speed humps in the press lately I do believe that that technology will get there eventually because the demand for it is huge. If you see what's happening in Ukraine right now with this prevalence of drone warfare, uh, the soldier of the future will be connected to a bunch of electronic equipment and, 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 and having a headset that connects to that is uh, kind of the obvious the obvious thing to do. So I do believe that, that IVAS will actually perform, uh, might take some time, but that's the most exciting kind of effort anywhere in the world for AR on operations. And then in the training domain, there's also a lot of exciting uh, technology advancements that are happening. So you know, Magic Leap 2 is a good example. It allows you to quickly put on a headset, scan the room that you're in, and then you could, for example, in a, in a shoot house context, engage these virtual targets that are rendered through augmented reality in the real in the in the real scene right so we can actually do hostage situations we can do all sorts of scenarios immersively walking through a, an actual building with virtual targets overlaid uh, the real world um, supporting uh, ducking down behind cover and, and, and this type of thing so both in training and operations we see huge investment in augmented reality uh, within the military
0: yeah, I can, I, it, it kind of blurs the lines, you know, I mean, you, you think of military training, but you also just think about how a normal first person shooter would work in mixed reality in general. I mean, it, it almost kind of is one, the same in a way, just depending on the, the software and the, the training scenario. But I mean, it's, it's really kind of the same once you get to the augmented space and the type of headset that you probably be wearing. Um, it. it, it Blends together in, in interesting ways. It kind of leads to my next question. Now, how how um, how does that work, especially with what Bohemia Interactive is doing in sort of the the mixed reality space? I mean, is it is is it separate? Are there sort of uh, is there a merging in in the hardware there, or what? How how is that playing out?
1: We at Bohemia really do focus on the software. So so we build uh, a, a computer game well a a training game based upon computer game technologies that can be deployed either in a traditional uh battle lab like desktop computers where the soldiers will use keyboard and mouse or they might use an xbox controller to move through the virtual world uh on a a typical desktop pc and they're doing this for cognitive learning like i said like i said earlier if we're putting the software into a headset then we could be trying to train something very specific. So a a good example is a forward air controller. In the military, forward air controllers are the very important people that uh, tell aircraft where to drop bombs in a military theater of war. And putting them in VR is really beneficial because in the real world, they have to kind of watch the aircraft come from kind of over their shoulder towards the target, drop the bomb. Uh, We can put a VR headset on a trainee, they can turn around and they can watch the aircraft in virtual reality come and drop the bomb. So that's a good example where a VR headset kind of meets the training need perfectly. We don't need to invest in a full 360 degree dome. Uh, we can give the person an Oculus or whatever, and uh, away they go. When it comes to flight training, we use mixed reality and the Vario headset, uh, which is sort of a like a mil-spec headset, I guess, uh, $5,000 headset, I believe, for for pilots, so they can view the virtual world through the headset, and we, we mix that with the actual cockpit, so they'll be sitting in a cockpit mock-up with real dials and a and a, and a real flight stick, but when they look. Out the window, they see the virtual world. We're mixing the the real world and the virtual world together and then rendering it on that headset. So yeah, our software is used in different ways on different headsets, um, but it's always, and this is the most important part, it it always relates to a specific training outcome. When you build a computer game for entertainment, you want your players to have fun when you build a computer game for the military, you want them to learn something that transfers into the real world. And that's actually called training transfer. So uh, I've actually been known as a bit of a VR skeptic over the years um, because I've seen VR get applied in many cases where it just was inappropriate. It it added stress to a soldier and it just ends up not not being used. But now that the VR and AI headsets are getting really high fidelity, really high resolution, low latency, they're becoming more suitable for more training use cases.
0: And I guess that, that sort of leads me on to the next question I have is um, like how, when we have talked about AR, VR, XR, and when it comes to the, the whole concept of the metaverse in general, um, how do you see the military being involved
1: there? So the metaverse... I'm a VR skeptic. I'm also a metaverse skeptic, like pretty much everybody else. <laughs> well, including, you're including, preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. Including meta shareholders, potentially. Yeah. But, yeah. but the, the, the idea behind it is, is worthwhile. And it's always important, I think, to, to separate out the noise and, and look at a technology and, and, and try and identify where it actually has value. And when the concept of a metaverse emerged in popular culture and, and pushed by, by big tech companies, I mean, it's easy to eye roll, but then I realized that what the U.S. Army is doing, for example, it's sort of a similar ambition. This idea that there would be an immersive, online, collaborative, virtual environment with a persistent virtual world that soldiers could collaborate in, train in, do mission rehearsal in, um, connect in from anywhere. I mean depending on your definition of metaverse, this is certainly something very similar. Uh, So we started talking about the military metaverse. And the reason why I'm excited about what the military is doing is because they have this this well-defined requirement to build a military metaverse for the next generation of training for the US Army. And what's fundamentally different, in previous approaches to uh, collective integrated simulation, you would have four or five different simulation systems. Maybe they were running on desktop PCs as they look like computer games, flight simulators, tank simulators. But you have all these different simulation systems that you'd connect together over a network. And that's a traditional approach to what the military calls live virtual constructive integration. What the US Army is doing differently in the synthetic training environment is they're actually building a cloud architecture where the simulation runs as services on that architecture. Mm. So you don't have different tank and helicopter simulators running their own simulations, you're actually running the simulation in the cloud. Right. And this is a fundamental step change from from the previous approach. And this is exciting because we can scale. We can effectively add more entities depending on the available computing power. It's very quick for all these different simulation services to communicate with each other. We can build specific services on that web architecture to take care of Uh, certain things centrally. So for example, you could have a damage service, you could have a parametric data service, and all of the connected simulation services use these other services. So they're all calculating their damage calculations the same way, for example. So what this means is that you're moving simulation from computers to a cloud architecture, uh, and then you're enabling soldiers to connect in, ideally vast numbers of soldiers to connect in from wherever they are. And the terrain the virtual world, that's also hosted on the architecture. And that can change over time as, as the conflict progresses. Uh, so that's why I see it as being similar to a, to a to a metaverse. And the way that you connect is also up to the, the training use case. So maybe you connect using a VR headset. Maybe you're connecting using a desktop PC. Maybe you're seeing the entities that are being simulated in that metaverse through your augmented reality headset overlaid the real world when you're mm-hmm. out on, on exercises. Um, so that's why I, I've said a little bit controversially <laughs> that I see the military kind of getting there first uh, because they have a well-defined need for, for this type of tech
0: yeah definitely can understand that um how do you feel in general about sort of i mean stepping away from the military just the i mean you mentioned you were a little bit of a skeptic and i'm pretty skeptic on some things too but how do you see the future of immersive tech metaverse quote unquote especially with the the new apple stuff that could possibly be coming out um what's what's your point of view on on the future here
1: so, you know, I've been playing computer games for 30 years <laughs> and uh, I've never been as stressed or as uncomfortable as wearing a VI headset for more than one hour. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think there's this sort of practical problem. But, but if you look past the, the practical limitations of the headsets today, uh, the amount of money that is pouring into augmented reality, I mean, what Apple are doing, I mean, what, what's in the public domain, I, I consider to be quite, quite exciting. And it's this, you know, the, 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 the metaverse meeting the real world. It, that, that's, to me, is the most interesting part of this. You know, it, it's always been the promise of Google Glasses telling me what somebody's name is, right? <laughs> so I don't have to remember everybody's name, you know. It's, right, it's sort right. of There's really kind of practical benefits.
0: Yeah, that I think.
1: That, yeah, that, that will really, I think, kind of trigger this. I mean, I would go and buy an AI headset if it's not too ugly, if it's lightweight enough. And, it, you know. And it could just give me this basic information that I kind of uh, would make my life more more efficient. So, yeah, if they can identify real needs and meet those needs with metaverse tech, be it the AR or VR headset, or you know the cloud-based online collaborative world, then then I think you'll start to see it see it take off. Uh, I, I try and test these things. Uh, you know, I, I, the money that's going into these headsets, it's it's yeah, it's not really uh, they're not really performing as well as they need to yet. But I do think it's a it's a yet, and, and I think when the breakthrough happens, it is going to be huge. You know? So I actually I actually think that Meta could be onto something, right? I mean, it's right. a gamble for them, but, but if they can crack it, then it will be massive. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad bet that they're they're making. Um, but but Apple is the one to watch. Apple will probably delay and delay and delay. But, um, yeah, I really do think that whatever they're doing could, could change the game.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking big picture in terms of the, the type of stuff you develop. It must be just a security nightmare, um, especially when you're talking like sinking people possibly in all over the world, you know, in different, different armies in different places, you know. <sighs> simulating a, a battle, you know in an area where different headsets and different devices are syncing together. Um, when I think about that, a lot of people have have indicated that maybe maybe Apple probably are the people that will have the have that dialed in a little bit more in terms of the security. Um, how do you feel about all of that in general? what's is it uh, is it, a, is it a mess or is it is it manageable, you know, especially for, for top secret types of training? I mean, should we, we be worried, you know, or, or do they have it locked down,
1: I guess? Well, certainly within the military, there are well-defined policies to manage security of software. So there is various tests that you do that your software undertakes in order to run on government or classified networks, uh, there's very expensive software that looks at the source code and tries to determine or does determine if there are any potential threats there. They analyze the network traffic. This this process is is well defined, and, and they have that dialed in. So any software that they run on their networks will be will be secure, and then they're running a secure clouds already, uh, and so they're 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 quite confident in their ability. For example, with Stee, to build a cloud architecture that will be Will be secure, Uh, and the amount of money that's flowing into cyber, I mean, it it really is a problem that is being tackled from many different directions. I think that in the commercial world, that's what where I worry. Um, You know, I I do. I am always concerned (laughs) about about it. And you know, the military, for example, has rules related to PII, personally identifiable information. In the real world, outside the military, uh, no offense to anyone in the military, I I just don't see the same kind of effort being applied to protect my data. So I I do worry, Um, but uh, yeah, within the military space, it's pretty well handled Um, and that's probably all I can say. Right. So one of the talking points
0: that we discussed before the podcast, um, it was a question, why should software developers be hesitant about the value of enterprise VR solutions? Can you elaborate a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so from a hardware perspective, it's a really tricky time. And yes, the military could buy tens of thousands of VR headsets. Once it's proven that the VR headset kind of accelerates training transfer that I spoke about earlier. Earlier, but The problem is that we're still doing a lot of prototyping. So there's a lot of investment happening from companies like Vario that they're building good headsets, but the military is still trying to figure out where to use them, where are they best employed. So that's why we've seen a number of different headset manufacturers kind of come into the market, then leave the market. Uh, we saw HoloLens kind of come in and dominate that AR scene for a long time. But now with Magic Leap two, we're beginning to see a little bit more competition um, right. in that in that area. But at the end of the day, that the military is still figuring out where where VR uh, can be applied to which training need, and there are endless doctoral theses <laughs> I yeah, think, I yeah. that, that are that yeah. are available if if, yeah. if there are people out there motivated to do them. So that's what I'm referring to there.
0: So let's jump back to your company. Um, you mentioned the, the cloud-based solutions and all that. Um, what are you guys working on next? What's, what's coming up in the future?
1: Right. So we are transitioning our technology to the cloud. And that is a challenge. So we make a product called VBS that runs as a sort of traditional Windows 64-bit application. It uses a traditional network client architecture, which works really well if you have 200 players. But if you want to scale to 10,000 players, if you want to simulate a megacity, there are challenges there. So uh, working with our customers, we are, building containerized scalable simulation, still using high fidelity artificial intelligence and high fidelity physics that we can scale up on the cloud. So we're putting a lot of investment into into that, as well as converting various user interfaces to run in a web browser, as opposed to kind of running in the computer game to give our customers a lot more options when it comes to deploying our, deploying our software. So a huge amount of effort uh, is going into that because it's a big deal. Um, You don't see many computer games kind of transition away from the Windows uh, kind of architecture uh, to be completely cloud um, scalable, but we're working on that. We're also working on artificial intelligence, and this one is a really big one. One of the challenges with military simulation is that the AI often undercuts the training outcome. So Hmm. if the artificially intelligent units do something silly, if they do something that's non-doctrinal, if they're too accurate, there's a million different ways that AI can uh, kind of reduce the value of your training scenario. And typically the military will use human role players, literally playing from the first person perspective, pretending to be the opposing forces. Right. Uh, So we're, we're really investing in making AI, high-fidelity AI for the military that kind of does what the administrator wants to support the training and not undermine it. Uh, so we're really excited about some of the, uh, the leaps we're making there, and our customers will see the outcome of that over the next year or two, I, I'm sure. So those are the, the big areas. The third area is uh, terrain. So building a, a high-fidelity digital twin of, of planet Earth to support the military metaverse and, and potentially other metaverses as well. Uh, we have a, a, a terrain business that is rapidly growing and that's all about making sure that all of your connected simulations and services have the same high fidelity terrain data, buildings, footpaths, trees, uh, and, and so on to support, to support simulation. So, those are the three big areas I'd say that we are, we're currently investing in. It's an exciting time uh, and uh, you know, we're, we're at 350, we continue to grow. Uh, the military market we see is, is kind of ever expanding.
0: Well, I I think it's crazy interesting. I mean, when, when I first started in, in VR, you know, it was one of the first, the first things you picture, you know what I mean? Is, is how that could be used for that type of experience. Um, and it's one of the, I would say few immersive technology sort of scenarios where it just makes sense. You know what I mean? Obviously with, with the danger level and, and the, the cost and, um, it's, it's, interesting to me to, to keep an eye on that space, just because I, it's, it's one of the ones that I, I really feel is, is, is doing immersive tech right, or it, it, it has its place. You know I mean? We try to slam it into so many different scenarios. Every time you go to a conference, you see, you know, an immersive this and immersive that, or, you know, people standing in a, an immersive bank or something, you know what I mean? There's there's all this, uh, sort of unnecessary and i am i'm just fascinated by the the training you know industry especially for military because it's it's always you know you never get to quite see what's going on under the hood and so I'm, i'm i guess i'm i'm happy to see that that is is flourishing and in a place where it should um where do you feel um i guess in your experience other than military, is there anything that maybe our listeners would be surprised in terms of how immersive tech is being used in, in sort of similar valuable ways?
1: I, I think that your listeners would be surprised to see where it's not being used. Uh, you know, so, so to me, that's that's always fascinating. So right now, the U.S. Army STI includes these lightweight, vehicle and helicopter simulators. And I'm impressed at how the Army has engaged with the actual users, the actual pilots, the actual tank crews. Some of those stations will use VR. The pilot stations, for example, will use VR, but then other stations won't. They'll have more of a traditional kind of flat screen uh, LCD display. and. I think that's one of the most impressive things about what the army is doing is that they're really matching the technologies to the training need. Uh, so that's that that's sort of one aspect that I'm finding very impressive. And then, definitely, Magic Leap 2. Uh, I mean, I'm very very impressed with that technology. I think that that is going to really change the way the military does training. Um, and so I'm I'm really watching watching where augmented reality is going. But yeah, I don't really have anything beyond that. I mean, the military works in a very common sense way most of the time. Uh, There is typically this early uh, excitement around new technology and and certainly the military does uh, spend a lot of money uh, testing that out. And I don't believe it's necessarily waste. I think that the military should be jumping on the new technology and trying to figure out how it can better train our our soldiers. But in general, they're making smart decisions about where to employ what technology. Uh, And I I think that you're going to see that spill over into adjacent markets. I mean, space comes to mind, right? right? Uh, It is on everybody's mind, um, what's going to happen if Russia starts jamming GPS satellites, for example, uh, Starlink and how that's impacting you know, the Ukraine war, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so to definitely space is the next kind of interesting adjacent market where, uh, where, where, where people will be starting to, att- to test these kind of immersive technologies. Um, yeah, so it's an exciting time. And I would say that the Ukraine war has given a new sense of urgency to everything that we're, we're doing here. Well,
0: it's 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 crazy exciting to hear about all this stuff, um, Pete. It's great to have you on the show. If people want to find more about you and Bohemia Interactive Solutions, um, where can they find you?
1: So we're actually bisimulations.com. dot So yeah, we have a website there. Uh, there's a ton of use cases where people can see how our software has been used by the military, and not just the U.S. Army, but militaries all over all over the world.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks for being on the show, man. My pleasure. If you like this podcast, don't forget to click the subscribe button to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. This podcast has been brought to you by the Robot Spaceship Podcast Network. For more info and other great podcast series, go to robotspaceship.com and subscribe.